I have a sleeping disorder. It's called parenting. Uh, maybe you've experienced a similar disorder. How could we describe parenting in a word this morning? Parenting is exhausting. I've heard it said that parenting is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't quit when you get tired. You quit when the gorilla gets tired. <laughs> uh, parenting is good for your faith. Do you want to know why I believe in creation instead of evolution? Because if evolution were true, mothers would have more than two hands. <laughs> Uh, parenting is intellectually stretching. As a parent, you've probably faced a thousand questions a day. Where does the sky end? Why is water wet? What are shadows made of? Do I have to wear clothes on today? Uh, uh, how do fish breathe underwater? Can I have ketchup on my cereal? Are we there yet? You've faced this before. Parenting is emotional. Parenting is amazing. Parenting is grueling. Parenting is gratifying. Parenting is inglorious. Parenting is imperative. Parenting is messy. Parenting is miraculous. Parenting is sleep-depriving. Parenting is sanctifying. Parenting is eternally, poignantly, gut-wrenchingly sweet. <laughs> when that baby who is screaming bloody murder 20 minutes ago is sleeping in angelic peace and it just melts your heart... <laughs> Or when you butted head with that teenager for years about doing their homework because school just wasn't for them, but you see them walk across the stage and get their diploma and your chest swells with pride. Or you get the pure joy of being a grandparent and watching your kids raise their kids. Parenting is a gift from God. One of the most vital and noble tasks that we can undertake as human beings is that of influencing the next generation. Some of you today have kids at home. You are parents. You're right in the thick of it right now. Some of you are grandparents. Your kids are out of the house and you're getting to reap the rewards. Some of you today aren't parents or grandparents. Uh, maybe right now you're in retirement mode. You're kicking back thinking you can just relax for the next few years and get the next couple decades to yourself. But I'm here to tell you that no matter who you are, no matter what phase of life you are in, you are called to influence the next generation. And your job in life is not done until there is somebody to fill your shoes. All of us are called to influence the next generation. And every week, there are a few hundred kids who show up at this church, and there are dozens of young couples who are eager for somebody to mentor them, somebody to pour into their lives. You have an opportunity here in this church and in your own lives, in your circles, to influence the next generation. And now, now I'm only seven months into my journey of parenting. My son Judah is only seven months old, so I've not experienced many of the challenges that come with being a parent. However, I do have a couple decades of experience being the, uh, the source of those challenges for my parents, so I'm going to speak a little bit from that experience today. But most importantly, I just want to talk to you from the Bible, because God does tell us what it takes to invest in and influence the next generation for Jesus. So I want to look at that a little bit today, but let me first begin with a question. What kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill? What kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill or your grandchildren or the kids in your circle, the young people in your neighborhood? And make no mistake, they will fill your shoes. Uh, you see, your life is not just about you. you. You are just a link in a chain of generations. You came from history and you are building a legacy. And someday, somebody's going to see your picture in a photo album, and they're going to say, Mom, who's that? And their mom's going to say, I don't know, honey, one of your ancestors, I guess. <laughs> and they may not remember who you are, but your legacy will live on. 
And the greatest imprint, the most lasting impact of your legacy will be your children. They are living, breathing messages that you are going to send into the future. They will carry your legacy into a time that you will not see. They will fill your shoes. So what kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill? If you've been around kids very much, maybe you've seen them clomp around in their parents' shoes or put on their parents' oversized clothes because they want to be just like their mom, just like their dad, and they eat cereal the way their dad does, and they curl their hair the way their mom does. You've probably also heard them say the same bad words their parents say. They will fill your shoes. So what kinds of shoes are you leaving your children to fill now, maybe you remember Teddy Roosevelt, the swashbuckling American president, but before Teddy Roosevelt was the president, he was a soldier. And one day in the year 1898, Teddy Roosevelt laced up his combat boots and he led a charge in a battle against the Spanish army. He led a famous charge up San Juan Hill, and they won the battle. And for his courage, Teddy Roosevelt received the highest award that you can get in our country, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt later had a son, his name was Teddy Roosevelt Jr. And in the year 1944, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., who also became a soldier just like his dad, laced up his combat boots on D-Day, and he led his soldiers on a charge up the bloody beaches of France, and they won the battle. And for his courage, Teddy Roosevelt Jr. also received the highest award that you can get in our country, the Congressional Medal of Honor. He had filled his father's shoes. So what kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill? If you would, open your Bibles with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. As I prepared for this sermon, I thought, well, let's look in the Bible and see if we can find some good examples of parenting, some good pictures to give us to try to emulate. And I thought, well, let's start with the first parents. How about Adam and Eve? Well, then one of their sons killed the other son, so I thought, okay, not Adam and Eve. Well, what about Noah? Well, Noah got drunk and passed out naked in front of his kids, and then he cursed one of his sons, so no, that's probably not a good idea. Uh, what about uh, Abraham? Well, no, Abraham ended up kicking one of his sons out into the desert and almost left him there in exposure, so no, let's not go with Abraham. He played favorites. What about Isaac and Rebekah? Well, they played favorites. No, what about Jacob? Nope, Jacob played favorites too. What about Eli? Eli was a parent. Well, Eli was actually such a bad parent that his kids were so disobedient that God ordained that they die in battle. So no, not Eli. What about King David? He was a man after God's own heart, right? What about him? Well, one of King David's sons violated one of his daughters and then another one of his sons killed that son and then that son tried to overthrow King David and kill him on the throne. So no, that's probably not a good idea of parenting. And I looked down through the Bible and I couldn't find hardly any good examples of how to be a parent. I really only found one. Mary and Joseph, and even they left the Son of God in the capital city and forgot him for three days, so that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> if you look down through the Bible, you're not going to find very many good examples of how to be a parent. But you will notice something. That a parent's legacy, whether good or bad, lasts for generations in their family. Their families fill their shoes. For example... In the book of Genesis, Abraham, father of our faith, was a liar. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 tells us that Abraham went and lied to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Well, uh, Abraham then had a son named Isaac, and Isaac filled his father's shoes. You see, Isaac was a liar too. Genesis chapter 26 tells us that Isaac went and lied to the king of the Philistines. 
And then Isaac had a son, and his name was Jacob, and Jacob filled Isaac's shoes. He was a liar too. In fact, Jacob lied to Isaac. Uh, Jacob wanted to get the inheritance instead of his brother Esau, so he put on his brother's Esau's coat so he would smell like him, and he got the hair of a goat and put it on his arms so he would have hairy arms like Esau, and he lied to his father using a goat and a coat. And then Jacob went on, and Jacob had 12 sons, and Jacob's 12 sons filled his shoes because they were liars too. In fact, they lied also to their father Jacob. They didn't like their brother Joseph, who was the favorite, so they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery, and then they took his coat of many colors, and they put the blood of a goat on it, and they too lied to their father using a goat and a coat. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Jacob's sons, four generations of liars Your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will fill your shoes. So what kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill? You see, the choices that you make right now will not just impact you. They're going to impact the people all around you. And the way you live your life right now will influence hundreds of people that you will never meet. So what kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill? Scripture actually tells us what kind of shoes we're supposed to leave for our children to fill. The Bible tells us that the best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to love God. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at verses 1 through 9, and we're going to get to the context of this passage a little later. We actually heard this passage read earlier in the service, but for now, just soak in these words. Starting in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And here is one of the core verses for the Jewish faith, this one here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus said later that this was the greatest command in all the law. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. It's my sermon in a sentence. Your greatest legacy is a godly lineage. Your greatest legacy is a godly lineage. The best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to love God. So how do we do that? Three things, first one is this. Give them a godly environment. Give them a godly environment. This text that we just read is called the Shema. Say that with me, say Shema. That's the Hebrew word for hear, which is the the first word in that verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. And so uh, this verse would be recited as a prayer by the Jews twice a day. It was one of the core prayers of their faith. And they would say it in Hebrew. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And they would love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. And based on the words of this text, the command to remember these commandments, the Jews would take these little scripture verses, they'd put them on slips of paper and inside these tiny little boxes. And they would literally tie these tiny boxes with Bible verses in them to their heads and to their hands and to the doorposts of their houses. Now, I'm not saying that you have to wear around little boxes with Bible verses in them. But I am saying that we are called to structure in our, our lives in a way that reminds us of God's truth. We're called to find a way to nail the gospel to the doorposts of our life. And one of the best ways we do that is by simply creating a home environment that draws our heart to God's truth. So tell me, if I came over to your house this afternoon and spent the next 24 hours with you, where would my heart be drawn? What would I see you prioritizing TV shows or music or food or sports or God? One of the Bible verses that is hung on the wall in our house is Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So is the way that we structure and live our lives drawing our minds to what is true and noble and right and lovely and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? Here's the deal. I hope you bring your kids to church. And this applies to all of us, by the way. Even if you don't have kids, no matter what phase of life you're in, I hope you bring your kids to church. I hope you bring your grandkids to church. I hope you invite kids in the neighborhood to church. I hope you invite kids to church and bring them here. But it is not the church's job to raise your kids to love God. That's your job. And it's our job as the church to support you and encourage you and empower you and provide an undergirding for the biblical education that is already happening in your home. So is your home a godly environment? Your kids saw over a thousand advertisements this week promising them happiness out there in the world. It's gonna take a lot more than one hour on Sunday mornings to convince them that happiness is only found in loving and following Jesus. So give them a godly environment it's simple. It doesn't have to be this crazy, complicated thing. I mean, do you have scripture hanging up on the walls of your home? What kind of music is playing? What kind of movies and TV shows are you guys watching? What kinds of conversations are they hearing you have? What kinds of things do they see you spending your time on? I'm really blessed. I had great parents who modeled this well and made a, a godly home environment for me. I remember growing up watching Tim the Toolman Taylor with my dad, and that was our thing as a kid. We loved to do that. And then I remember that Tim the Toolman Taylor started saying some bad words, and so Dad shut the show off, and we haven't watched it since. And I was bummed as a kid. But I'm thankful my dad made a choice not to let that into our house. And I can remember as a kid falling asleep, listening to my mom play the piano and sing hymns. And it was a subliminal thing, but that drove those truths deep down into my heart. And I can remember later when I was a little older and I was old enough to get an iPod and my mom would gather me and my siblings around and we would have to purge all of the bad music off of our iPods and she made us put clean music and some Christian music on there. And I didn't like that as a teenager. That was not cool. But I'm thankful that she did it. And my parents always prioritized eating dinner together as a family. And we would just have conversations about our days, the good and the bad and the ugly. And we would process life together. And it's at those informal conversations where my parents taught us how to think like a Christian. And to this day, when I walk in the door of my parents' house, that's a godly environment. And I'm challenged in my faith. So what can you do to make your home a godly environment? 
Because your greatest legacy is a godly lineage. And the best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to love God. So give them a godly environment. And secondly, give them a godly education. A godly education. The book of Deuteronomy here that we read from is Moses' final message to the Israelites. God has rescued the Israelites from being slaves in Egypt, and they've been wandering around in the desert now for 40 years under Moses' leadership, but now Moses is at the end of the line. He's getting ready to die, and this older generation that followed him out of Egypt, they're not going to get to go into the promised land because they grumbled against God, but the young people, the generation under 40 years old, they're going to get to go into the promised land, and they're on the verge of crossing over under the new leadership of Joshua, and Moses is giving these young people one final charge to stay faithful to God, because these young people, they weren't around for the 10 plagues in Egypt. Uh, They didn't see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led them out and and God parting the Red Sea. They didn't remember uh, the glory of God descending on Mount Sinai and God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. That was all stuff that happened to their parents. That was their parents' faith. So how do they get their parents' faith to be passed on to these young people? And isn't that our question as parents? Uh, Don't we want this faith that we hold so dear to be passed on to the next generation? How do we do that? Moses tells us here in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses 20 and 25, how to handle those discussions with our kids. He says, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So in other words, when a kid asks you, hey mom, hey dad, hey grandma, hey grandpa, Why do we follow God? Why do we believe in God? Why do we obey Jesus? Why do we come to church? That's a golden opportunity. Tell them the story. Tell them about what God has done in the Bible to save his people. Tell them about what God has done in Jesus Christ to save the world. Tell them about what God has done in your life to save you. Give them a godly education with your words. God says in Deuteronomy chapter six, this text we read a little bit earlier, talk about me when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, make the most of your times sitting around the table at a meal to have family discussions. Make the most of your car time to talk about spiritual things. Make the most of your early morning times and your bedtimes to process your days together and teach your family how to think like a Christian. Uh, Use your words to give your family a godly education. Tell them Bible stories. Make them memorize scripture. Uh, uh, Quote scripture over them. Pray for them. Let them hear you pray. Use your words to give your family a godly education. And when I was younger, I used my words um, often very disrespectfully. Um, I had a smart mouth when I was a kid, and so my mom came up with a plan for how to combat this. Uh, She made me memorize a Bible verse. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. (laughs) I think I've had to quote that verse about a million times. And to this day, every time I make a smart remark to my mom, she'll say, Luke, say the verse. 
and I like my eyes in their sockets, and so I'm slowly learning to respect my parents. <laughs> they taught us with words. And my dad told us bedtime stories growing up. We had the best bedtime stories. And we always knew there were two kinds of stories. Some stories he would start by saying, once upon a time. And if dad started like that, we knew that that story was gonna be crazy and fun and silly, but it was gonna be made up. But if he didn't start by saying once upon a time, he would start by saying a long time ago. And if dad said that, we knew that that story was true and he was about to make the Bible come to life for us. As I grew up, my parents quickly realized that I was a wretched sinner, and they, my mom was able to identify three main areas of sinfulness in my life, and so she came up with three corresponding virtues that she wanted me to develop in my character, and she called them the H's, honesty, holiness, and humility. And to this day, when I get a little big for my britches, my mom will point at me and she'll say, H's, Luke. My parents taught us with their words. They taught us to be people who thought about God all the time. When we'd see an ambulance driving by with the siren on, we would pray. When something bad happened in our day, we would pray. When something good happened, we would pray. When we sat down to eat, we would pray. My parents did whatever it took to drill scripture deep down into our hearts. They bribed us to memorize Bible verses, and I'm sure glad they did. Even to this day, my dad still texts all of us a Bible verse every single morning. And that line that I'm using this morning, your greatest legacy is a godly lineage, that's a line I stole from my dad. I've heard him say that for years. So will you teach your kids with your words? Will you give them a godly education? Will you use your words to lead them to Jesus Christ? And that's an intimidating thing. It can feel really awkward. And if you're not doing this right now, it's not too late. Start, start today. It's still not too late. And it can feel a little bit awkward the first time you try to pray with your kids, you don't quite know what to say. You can feel like you're fumbling over your words when you don't answer their questions perfectly right. You feel like you don't know all the answers. But hear me, your kid ain't looking for a theologian. He's looking for you to be honest and to talk to them about who God is and what he's done in your life. And God has given you exactly what you need to be able to do that. So speak to them. Use your words to give them a godly education. And that can still be an intimidating thing to disciple your family with your words. You don't feel equipped to teach. Well, there's some awesome resources at our disposal. I don't know if you guys listen to podcasts. If you do, there's tons of good Christian podcasts out there I could point you to. There's great Christian songs all over YouTube. Almost every day when I come home, Rebecca and Judah are in there like dancing to Bible songs. And I'm glad because those are driving the truth deep down into his heart, even as just a little baby. Uh, there's wonderful people in this church who would love to walk alongside you. They've been in your phase of life and they're passionate about raising up the next generation and we love to connect you with some of those people. There's great books on parenting and grandparenting and discipling and we want to point you to some of those resources because we can all keep learning and growing in our ability to influence the next generation. So if you want some resources, shoot us an email. Our email address is on the church website. Uh, you can give us a call at the church. You can go over there to the treehouse. We have an awesome children's ministry. They'd love to talk to you and point you in the right direction. If you have older kids, the people at the pier and our youth ministers would love to talk with you. We are passionate about raising up the next generation here, and we want you to be too, and we want to equip you to do that well. Your greatest legacy is a godly lineage. The best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to love God, so give them a godly education. And finally, give them a godly example. Give them a godly example. Words are powerful, but even more powerful than words is your example. Somebody once said that example isn't just the best way to teach, it's the only way to teach. Because did you notice what God told us in Deuteronomy chapter six? Before we tell our kids about God's truth, we have to live it ourselves. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then tell your kids about it. Because your kids will follow your example. 
not your advice. We don't get to say, do what I say, not what I do. (laughs) No, they're going to do what you do. (laughs) Because if you want your kids to follow Jesus, then you have to follow Jesus first. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 128, and it talks about this. It starts off by saying, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And that's the caveat. Look at that whole thing. If you fear the Lord, if you walk in obedience to him, everything else is a result of that. So look what happens to the person who fears the Lord. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. So what brings about the flourishing of our wife and kids? What makes our family thrive? It's when we fear the Lord and walk in obedience to him. So will you give your family a godly example? The best way my parents taught me was by their example. And they got that example from their parents. They're passing it on to me and I'm gonna do my best to pass it on to my kid. They left me good shoes to fill. And the reason I got to see their example and follow in their example is because I got to see them. They were present. My dad's a preacher, and he was gone all the time growing up. He has to travel a lot with his job, but even though he was busy, he made time to be home with us. He made time to be there when we needed him. He came to our baseball games. He took us on trips with him. When my pet cat died, my dad came home from work, and he scraped it off the road, and he took it in the backyard and buried it. He was there for me. (laughs) And then when my pet fish died, I had so many fish die, he would come home, and he would be there for me, and he'd bury my fish too. And then when we stopped having pets, because I was killing all my pets, my dad was there for me too then. (laughs) They were there. I got to see their example. Uh, I remember one time as a kid when dad taught us how to serve. It was just informal. The the neighbor's trash had gotten blown over and there was garbage and diapers all over their yard. My dad gathered us kids around. He said, all right, we're gonna be secret agents. We're on a secret mission, undercover. We can't be seen. We gotta go pick up that trash and put it in the trash can without anybody seeing us. And we thought that was so cool as kids running around, getting all the trash, like putting it in the trash can so the neighbors wouldn't see us before they even knew it was a mess. My dad taught us to serve with that. And I remember my mom uh, teaching me how to love people and We'd go pick up her mentally challenged friend named Helen and drive her all over town. And mom was just her friend. She just loved on her, just got her what she needed. It wasn't anything fancy, but I want to fill her shoes. And I had a drug problem when I was young. My mom drugged me to church every week. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't always like it, but rain or shine, no excuses. We're going to be there. And they set an example for us about prioritizing gathering together in worship And I learned how to be selfless and how to minister when my parents would take us uh, to the nursing homes and and to the hospitals on the holidays and we'd go sing to people and we'd just go love on people. And all my friends at school had crazy stories about what they did over Thanksgiving break or Christmas break and I was stuck in the nursing home and I didn't always like it. But my parents taught me how to be a minister and how to love people. And more than the things they said, it was the things they did that stuck with me. So will you set your family a godly example Just be present. Just be with them. Let them hear you pray. Let them see you read your Bible. Let them see you forgive people who hurt you. Let them see you serve. Let them see you love. Let them see you work. Let them see you play. Let them see you rest. Let them hear you process life and why you're making the decisions that you're making. Let them see you love your spouse. Let them see you love Jesus. Give them a godly example. So what kind of shoes 
are you leaving your children to fill? And I'm so encouraged when I look out at you all because I don't know what kind of shoes you wear, but bear with me here. So many of you are doing this. You're discipling your families. You're reaching out to the people in your circles, even who aren't in your families. You're pulling people into your lives and you're showing them who Jesus is. And as a young guy who's just starting his journey of parenting and ain't very far along the road of life, I'm telling you, I'm watching you. And I'm watching Steve White and I wanna follow in his shoes. So what kind of shoes are you leaving for other people to fill? Because your job on this earth is not done until there's somebody to fill your shoes. And here's the deal, some of you have worked really hard to do that. And your children have seen your life and they've said no thanks. And you worked hard to lead them to God and they've chosen to run away. And that's the painful but beautiful reality of this is that God gives us a choice. There is no magic bullet parenting solution that's going to ensure that your kids follow Jesus. But the one thing we can control is that when they grow up in your home and when they are involved in your life, they will encounter the living God face to face and the choice will be theirs. So will you choose to live in a way that when people see you, they see Jesus? And you're not gonna do it perfectly. (laughs) My parents were, were wonderful. Some of you have had broken upbringings and difficult upbringings and God wants to use you to redeem your family story. And I was really blessed. I had a wonderful upbringing and wonderful parents, but they weren't perfect. Most of the time, they had no idea what they were doing, and they are wretched sinners, and so much of my sins and my struggles right now is directly related to who I am genetically because of them and how they raised me. They are not perfect people. But they did show me who Jesus was and how to follow him. And you're not gonna be a perfect example. You're gonna screw up and you're gonna sin, which is why ultimately, I don't want my son Judah to be just like me. I want him to be just like Jesus. And I want him to follow me to the extent that I follow Christ. You can't be a perfect parent. You won't have perfect kids. Read the Bible. The only perfect parent's God. The only perfect kid is Jesus. Which is why the best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to love God. Your greatest legacy is a godly lineage. And the message of the Bible is that Jesus helps us when we are imperfect. Because he lived perfectly. And he came and he died humbly and he rose victoriously and he's giving us his Holy Spirit to empower us now to impact the next generation, which means that because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and the hope of resurrection, there is hope for our kids and there is hope for us. And as we follow Jesus, which is the best thing that we can do for the next generation, when we follow Jesus, we will find forgiveness. And when people follow us, they will find Jesus and they will find forgiveness. And when we follow Jesus, we will find joy. And when people follow us, they will find Jesus and they will find joy. And when we follow Jesus, we will find love. And when people follow us, they will find Jesus's love. And when people follow us, we will, when we follow Jesus, we will find life. And when people follow us, then our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will find Jesus and they will find life. So what kind of shoes are you leaving your children to fill? We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing about following Jesus. And if you're ready to do that for the first time, there's no better time than now. Let's leave some good shoes to fill.